When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the part if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? <laughs> Aziz. AJ, I, I see you, man. She. Welcome to LA Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by Direct TV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And the kid is off today, so I'm joined by another green teamer. I would say another professional sports fan, another someone who's addicted to the green Kool Aid, Dan Greenberg from Barstool Sports. You might know him as Stool Greeny. Dan, how are you doing today? Well, coming off uh, an OT thriller with a much better vibe, much better result. I, I mean, I can't complain. I'm, I'm riding high at the moment. My question is, what's Jay doing? Little suspect that like, <laughs> here we are, everything's going well and the guy's nowhere to be found. I, I find that interesting. He's technically off today and I don't know what that is. But yeah, you're right. He's generally the negative guy, the one, the media member trying to stir up controversy and, you know, the Celtics pull off a two-game winning streak and he's nowhere to be found. It's a little suspect. I agree. I agree. I think the thing that, that stands out to me about the bit last two games is that uh, Jason Tatum uh, is quite good at basketball and had an absolutely ridiculous uh, last two games after putting up, which was not a great performance, again, in the opener or against the, uh, against the Raptors in the game, too. Well, I feel like he started the Raptors game strong, but it was the second half, like him and everybody else just completely went in the tank. But it is interesting. You would think that, you know, after his seven for 30 performance, you know, I didn't know that guys could be still good at basketball. I thought, (laughs) you know, you have a seven for 30 and that's just, that's who you are as a player. That's, you know, we should jump ship because God forbid, uh, you know, a guy that historically starts slow started slow and now look at it like you know his last three games I'm going to include the Toronto game just because you know what his and his splits ended up being isn't this the Jason Tatum we all wanted and all you know we all want of a, of a level to see of a guy to get them to that next level like this is how he has to play yeah and it's not just the points although he did score 31 points and then 41 points uh, it's really the playmaking that I think has been uh, the most impressive this early on in the year. I think it was Chris Forsberg did an article about like just the potential assists that he set yeah. up. Which I think it was like something 17 in the Hornets game. Yeah. But he's making passes that I just don't think we've seen him make before, specifically finding guys in the opposite corner and drawing a lot, like 
obviously he's Jason Tatum. He's going to draw a lot of attention, but I've been very impressed with his passing, his playmaking. And in that Hornets game, it was like, all right, I don't care what positions are. Jason Tatum, you are the point guard now. You were going to take the ball up. We are just going to leave the offense in your hands. And it seems like he's made great strides just in terms of making his teammates better. Yeah, I think, you know, the bubble is where we all saw the signs that he was getting a little bit better reading defenses. He was, you know, starting to become the playmaker. The following year, you know, he's passing a semi ozile So his assist numbers, I don't think, you know, were what we were hoping post-bubble. But also his role of having to, you know, carry the scoring load, I think, sort of took away from that. So this year, I think the potential assists that you that you mentioned is a big number. He only had five potential assists uh, against the Rockets, and I still felt like you know his passing wasn't horrible despite only having two assists. But the big thing that I think we need to monitor moving forward, his touches went up big time last night. And so I don't know how much of that is because you know Al's not there and Romeo for whatever five ten touches a game he gets, those went to Tatum, but it's can he maintain high potential assists if he's going to hover around the 80 to 90 touches mark? That'll tell us, okay, he's, he's, he has the ball in his hands more, but he's also looking to pass. And then if guys like Pritchard and Jalen and Smart are going to knock down their open threes, I think the perception around Tatum as a passer will change. Yeah, it, it, it really does come down to the, the other guys' three-point shooting because there are stretches – uh, and it's happened over the course of all four games. When the Celtics are making threes, it's like, oh, my God, this offense is clicking. Look at all the uh, playmaking they have. Look at the, like, hockey assists. But then they go on these some stretches where they're just, like, not knocking down threes. I think it happened some in that uh, Hornets game, especially compared to just, like, whatever nonsense Kelly Oubre was doing out there, like, starting the game, what was it, four for four? <laughs> Um, five five. I think he was five for five, actually, which is insane, um, which I actually think is great because then it made Kelly Oubre believe late in the game that he should be the one with the ball in his hands, yeah. um, which really benefited the Celtics. But uh, there's some stretches where it, when they're not making threes and there's not a lot of like, especially in lineups when there's not a lot of shooting on the court where it's like maybe you have a lot of Dennis, maybe you have Dennis and Marcus Smart. Uh, the, the offense tends to look a little bit worse, but you're right. When it comes down to it, when the role players around Jason Tatum are kind of able to knock down the open shots, it, the Celtics have so much higher potential because those open shots are going to be there just because when Tatum gets it going like he had last night, everyone mm -hmm. kind of converges on him on the paint. Now let me ask you, because you touched on it, what are your thoughts of this Schroeder-Smart pairing? I feel like I saw – I don't want to take credit for it. I saw, you know, Corrales – tweet out it's sort of like the guard version of Thompson and Tice where like, bigs. <laughs> yeah it's like I can understand in the same game right they can shoot you out of it and blow it for you but at the same time I thought they don't win that game without having both of them on the floor defensively so it's is it more of like because guys were out Eme just had to throw something together do you think this is something we see consistently because I find it shocking if you're going to run a two-guard lineup that Pritchard isn't your second guard just because of his off-ball shooting. So what do you think? Do you think that we we have to deal with this all um, all season? Oh, I, I actually do think it's going to happen a lot. I think we've seen um, maybe it's, like, it's very hard to get a read in preseason, but 
I feel like Ime is going to start double bigs, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Pritchard, I mean, if Schroeder's in the closing lineup just because it kind of gives the them a little bit more spacing. Smart and Schroeder are not the best shooters, but as we saw against the Hornets, both of them made very important threes. Yeah. Um, and you like kind of need them out there. The thing that's interesting is that Dennis, I don't know what to think of Dennis Schroeder. I looked down at the box score last night and was like, he had how many points? Yeah. He had 26 points. And then there's times where it's just like, Dennis spends 16 seconds just pounding the ball into the floor. And you're like, what the hell was that possession? But I, then he also had like, what was it? Three or four times where he just had great drives and dumps off, dump off to Rob, where he's yeah. really the guy being an, uh, the solid facilitator. His shooting is inconsistent, but he can make a three. It, like I feel like I'm just describing Marcus Smart at the end of the day. He's like, he's Honestly, making some plays out the there. I feel like they're the same player, right? I think where they differ is – you know, I don't panic when I see someone posting up Marcus Smart. We saw last night when a bigger player like Hayward or anybody takes Schroeder into the paint, like he has to foul them. But I looked at, I did the same thing as you. I see 23 points, eight assists, one turnover. I don't remember him making that many. I remember the stretch where he seemed to miss like seven or eight shots that were in and out. And, you know, I feel good with this. It's not like with Schroeder, I don't question his shot selection right you know like he's getting into the mid-range he's taking open 15 footers they just weren't dropping but I did not remember him hitting that many shots and then you look down and it's like man I feel like his nights were reversed where I felt like Smart was making a lot more shots than he actually did he was three for 12 but their impact was just undeniable I love how Dennis guards 94 feet that might be my favorite part about him so far but I also am learning we can't trust him to make a transition layup to save his life. Like, just make your open layups. I just, you know, that tells me he was destined to be a Celtic if he's not going <laughs> to. If, he, if he's going to smoke a bunny, he belongs in green. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because he does pick up 94 feet, and you talk about ball pressure. But with the Celtics lineup, and I wanted to ask you this, with, like, the switch everything on defense – it's interesting. I kind of get it, like trying to put that in as a base, and then you can kind of adjust from there, as we kind of saw in the Knicks game, where it's like, it's not working. Let's keep Rob on Julius. Like, there's ways to adjust from it. But with the switch everything lineup, especially in a lineup that involves Dennis Schroeder, or I think we've seen Peyton Pritchard kind of get hurt from this, you're just going to end up with some just like either giving up fouls uh, or just giving up a lot of uh, buckets in the post. And I just, I've never, I, I haven't seen such a commitment to this. I just like don't remember an NBA team just being like, this is our, this is our base defenses. We're going to switch everything, not even on the ball, but like off ball. I feel like they've gotten better of like scramming um, like the little guys out when they, it does happen. But still, yeah. it feels like there's just a number of instances where it's just like, we're going to kind of concede this possession because Nick Richards is posting up Dennis Schroeder and it's like, there's nothing right. we can do about it. And I just don't. I've never seen it before. I don't remember it. Well, I think that's that's one of the questions I think is fair about Ime, right? Like we don't we didn't know what his system was going to look like. Like how hell bent is he on maintaining this switch everything defense, right? Like even if it's not in terms of the mismatches, we're still seeing issues of communication when it comes to hedging out on three-point shooters. I mean, you mentioned Kelly Oubre. I just he's a career 32% shooter, but he's in the NBA. He can make open threes. You know, the Knicks, I, because I'm sick and demented, went back and looked at how everybody's done since that opener. Their outside shooting has fallen off a cliff. R.J. Barrett is shooting 8% from three. 
in the two games since that opener. So it's like, if you're giving these guys open shots because your switching communication isn't there yet, you're going to get buried from three and perimeter defense is so important to this team being successful. I'm nervous that like, is image just going to be stubborn and never adjust. But at the same time, like, is it going to look this way in two weeks when they've had time to go through it and build? So I'm willing to hold off. Like, let's see how it looks, but the early returns I think are not what we were hoping for a team that we all want to see get back to being a top five defense. Yeah. And I, I think there's been some improvement just even in the first four games, like I said, just with rotations or like trying to bail out the, the small guy who's on a big, I think that was something that was really startling about the Toronto game is it feels like they, there were no rotations. It was like, let's collapse on the middle and then just give up an open three to whoever. And I do think uh, we had, uh, a reaction just to the the Knicks games, and we had uh, some some callers on the new Athletic app just being like, "I don't know about Eme," and it was after one game. And I love yeah. that. I love and also slash hate that kind of fan reaction. And like one immediate reaction, and that's going to judge all of Eme's uh, abilities as a coach. I do think we have to, you know, maybe maybe wait twenty games into the season before we give a definitive uh, like just opinion on what it's going to look like. So I do think we have to give the Celtics some time in terms of like just putting these things together, learning to play together as a team, who knows if they can ever be healthy. I think it's kind of crazy that like the one game they were the healthiest was the Raptors. And now uh, that was probably the game where they looked the worst on the defensive end. Um, Luckily Al Horford is back and I guess probable to play against the wizards on Wednesday night. So we'll hopefully have some health there, but I don't know. I just, the switch, everything is just very, it's a novel idea. And I think you have, it has to be the type of thing where it's like, everyone's moving on a string. Like if you're going to do that, that involves so much more communication than I think like just a normal kind of drop defense does. And clearly we've seen the Celtics when they're just not communicating well, it's really burned them. Just remembering Evan Fournier hitting four th- uh, threes. Well, that's why I'm curious, right? So you have the opener where it felt like the Knicks were making every three. And then you had last night, Hornets came out of the gate. Had like, it reminded me of their game last year where they made like 10 first quarter threes. Horford didn't play in either one of those games. So I'm curious, how much are they missing his communication, his direction, you know, not having that and right and having to insert someone like Schroeder who may not have the continuity with, because, you know, while it's a new system, I feel like when Horford's there and it's, you know, Rob and the Jays and Smart, like they've all played together. They have that familiarity. So it is interesting that in the two games that he's missed, it seems like they they get destroyed when it comes to defending the three-point line on switches. But I just think, like you said, let's give it time. Let's see how – if it doesn't improve, I just want – you know, I I felt Brad could be stubborn at times in his ways. I'm interested to see if Ime has a sample of something that's not working, whether it be rotations, scheme, whatever, will we see him and can he even adjust – um, and we don't know because this is his first try. Yeah. And at what point, like in the season, does he start going from like, we're trying to implement a system here to we need to win this basketball game right now, because it feels like the East just looking around the league is a lot better. And I think seeing the Hornets last night, though, they were out without Terry Rozier. And I think PJ Washington is going to be a pretty good player for them. Um, but they're still a talented team. It feels like the East has gotten a little bit better and all of these wins matter even if they're early in the season like I, I try to take a step back and kind of have the perspective that the team's going to grow but 
you know what? Seeding, seeding's going to matter eventually. And so you can't just like mm-hmm. drop games and events like some of these games, it's going to come down to it. I think it's good that we saw him kind of make the adjustment in the Knicks game because there was no way they were stopping Julius Randle. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what Ime's philosophy is here. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, I bring up Julius Randle and that reminded me of just like the, the adjustment was let's put Rob Williams on uh, on him. And I thought Rob Williams did a damn good job uh, on the defense uh, mm-hmm. against the Knicks. I don't, I, his defense, he still, I think, makes some some um, some iffy decisions from now and then. I don't know if he's like the best defender, but his offense and his specifically his offensive rebounding and his passing the past two games have been awesome. It's just he. How many times last night against the Hornets did he just like go up for an offensive rebound? It didn't even matter if he actually got the rebound, but he created mm-hmm. some action to just kind of. Uh, result in the Celtics just getting uh, another chance at a, another bucket. That's what I was going to say. They don't win that game without his activity on the offensive glass. I think when it comes to Rob, you know, I think he does tend to rely on his leaping a little bit. Like there are times, especially when he gets switched, he sags off like three feet. If he, he invites the shot. shot. He invites yeah. the shot. Like yeah. he baits you some. And what's crazy is like 65 to 75% of the time, he challenges it or he blocks it, which is, which is wild. But I, I would like to see him come up a little bit more because he does. He's shown that he has the quickness to sort of stay with guards or wings once they put the ball on the floor. I do think you know his positioning, his weak side defense. That's all stuff that I think we need to see him improve on. But this is the first time in his career he's playing legit thirty minutes a night. I think he's more reserved when it comes to like you know just sacrificing his body for a big time block. Like I don't feel like we've seen him fall like as much. Yeah. yeah, Which is, I mean, anytime he does, I get nervous, but I just, I mean, I'm intrigued with him. If he's going to stay healthy, like we know his passing, we know the lobs, we know all that, but it's, can he figure out how to be a better team defender with the weak side help? And is he still going to, you know, if we're in a playoff series with, you know, the the Bucks or something, right? And he gives Chris Middleton four feet to shoot a jumper. Chris Middleton's not going to miss. So it's like, how much of that is, is it just dependent on the guy that he's then switched onto? And he's like, all right, your jump shot's broken. Like you're Kelly Oubre, I'm fine with it. Or is like, is this something where they need to put it on film and say, hey, Rob, you keep sagging off. Like, don't just rely on your freakish athletic ability. Like we need you to be, you know, closer to prevent these bombs from three where next thing you know, it's like 13, three and they're already in a hole. Yeah. Like you can, there's other ways to rely on your freakish athleticism, like play up on a guy and then use that athleticism to recover, like block the drive. Like it really does feel like he invites the the shot sometimes. And I think we saw last night, miles bridges uh, in a three over him who God damn miles bridges is a good, uh, he's having a breakout year. Like don't let that poster fool you. He's, they didn't give him a, a rookie extension. 
they're going to have to overpay in if they want to keep him in restricted free agency. He's if he keeps this up, he's going to get you know probably close to the max. Yeah, but the thing that's like I think impresses me about Rob is we like the lobs are obvious, like he can do that, but it's like he has to put himself in the right position, um, one to just catch the lobs, which I think he's been able to do from the start of his career. But we saw um, a huge one where Tatum was driving and like they they sent two to Tatum and he was right there. But I think the plays I mentioned earlier where he was in perfect because like when Dennis is attacking the basket, he basically is rolling with him to give him that outlet. And I think something. Um, Rob Williams has done a lot better is just like his timing off on offensive rebounds. I think Tatum had that uh, play where he missed the layup and it went off glass and he uh, mm-hmm. had that awesome putback. but just his ability and kind of nose for the basketball on the offensive end. I th- and just keeping plays alive, I think is huge for the Celtics because it just is another, another outlet for them. Um, like if they have guys who are just going to be great at driving like Tatum, um, like Jalen Brown, to have that outlet and to have him be kind of have that timing where someone drives and they draw that attention and he's there to either catch the lob or to like be smart enough to time it to like get the offensive rebound, I just think makes their offense that much more dynamic. I, yeah, I mean, it's with him, it's never been a question of ability, right? We always saw the flashes even before he became a full-time starter pre-deadline. Then once Tice was traded and Thompson was – you know, exiled for the most part, and they gave the keys to Rob for that five spot. I mean, this is what all of us Robert Williams fanboys have been preaching, and we get called green teamers or whatever, and it's like, this is it. This is the guy that he's blossoming into where you could see him being a top, you know, five, six center at one point. He just has to stay healthy. And that's – for most NBA players, that's not like a big what if. For him, it's everything. The – the team took a gamble with his extension on that. We're taking a gamble, you know, with what his importance and role is within the offense and the defense. But, you know, I wonder, can he hold up playing third? Like, does Eme need to monitor him? And does that mean, like, we got to see more Cantor or maybe you see Bruno? I'm just – things are going so well right now. I'm just like – I'm a battered Celtic fan where I'm just <laughs> – I'm expecting something. I'm expecting the worst because – that's really all we've ever seen with Rob, but he has just – he changes everything. He impacts more on the floor on both ends than probably any player on the roster. And he might be the best passer on the team. Like, when he yeah. actually – the one-handed, like, uh, against the Rockets was amazing. Yeah. But, like, it feels like with the type of offense they play, they play a lot through their bigs at the top of the key, and it's a lot on swinging the basketball. And it feels mm-hmm. like he has the best passing instincts. Maybe – I'll give it to Al Horford just because of uh, experience, but Robert Williams like gets the ball moving, passes it to the right guy, like knows when to swing it. Like even on offensive rebounds, he's very good at finding the open guy for three. Um, It's, it's going to be the longevity thing is interesting. And considering Horford's missed two games, I'm actually kind of surprised and kind of surprised last night that we didn't see uh, any Ennis Cantor. I think, um, Maybe he's just on the team because Brad has a soft spot for him, and uh, Ime's not going to play him. Yeah, Ime was like, you know, uh, a 10-11 man rotation might work, but he talked about keeping it a tight rotation. You know, even in games Horford misses, you know, what was it? Um, I can't remember. Honestly, it's only been four games. I already can't remember. But there was one where he didn't play a backup big the entire game, which I I just find incredible. Like, I don't know if it was Toronto or it may have been – 
Um, it may have been their second game or their third game against Houston. I just remember, you know, they started Grant and then Enos didn't come up. Wancho didn't come up. Like he's sticking to this short rotation. And I think maybe his thought process is if we keep it tight, guys will, will build that chemistry quicker. But I'm just nervous knowing that like, hey, this team has not been able to stay on the floor together. So it's like the regular season, I feel like, is when you want a longer rotation just to get guys rep. Like, what happened to Aaron Neesmith? Like, can we talk about that for a second? Like, <laughs> did, like did he take a shit on, you know, Ime's doorstep? Like, what is – I have never seen someone make so much progress in the summer league in the preseason, look like he's starting to put it together, and then the guy's getting DMPs in the fourth game of the year when, you know, Romeo's out. I just – so I hope – if Jay was here, I would tell him, please ask email, like, what the hell is going on with, with Neesmith? Yeah, I was shocked to see him not be in the game yesterday, especially with Romeo out. I was shocked to see Romeo being, like, kind of the first guy off the bench. Neesmith has just not made shots, and I don't. it's like, it feels weird to punish him. Like, we've seen people go on streaks before where they're just, like, not making shots. You want to give them the opportunity to kind of make more and kind of play through their mistakes, but he's just really – not been out there. I think maybe one of the reasons uh, is Grant Williams. Like Grant Williams yeah. has been clearly the, like a, the best bench player so far. I don't know. It's hard to kind of figure out what Dennis is, but beyond mm. kind of the more experienced guys, I think Grant has been the best young guy so far. And Grant was basically has filled in in that backup center role when yeah. Horford's been out. Grant, Shockingly missed three uh, three pointers uh, against the Hornets. No, as soon as we were all hyping him up, he like couldn't make a fourth quarter three to save his life. But I, I wonder like how much of it because last year, if you remember Neesmith's sort of his season at the beginning of the year when he was getting inconsistent run DMPs one week, you know, eleven minutes here or there, he just could not catch a rhythm. Then when Brad decided to actually play him consistently, we saw a much more confident in rhythm shooter. So it's like very confusing to me that they seem to have reverted back to their strategy that didn't seem to work. And it's like, this dude was getting playoff minutes last year and he can't even crack the rotation. I just, I just fear that, you know, I'm excited with Romeo that he's starting to get a look because like, we just need, we don't know what either of these two are. We need to see them play. I just fear that we're going to get into like year three, year four with Neesmith and like, we're going to have no idea. And maybe that, maybe that's, telling enough of like if you can't crack a rotation then that speaks volumes but like what are we seeing out of Josh Richardson that says he deserves these minutes over Aaron Eastman he's not shooting the ball all that well outside of that one game where he had four threes but like you know the defense it's not like that's all NBA caliber defense and you put up with it so why wouldn't you invest in your in your young asset it's it's very confusing yeah, it's it, like you would think you want to give them some sort of role, but it's like and at the same time, there's just too many of those guys. If you like, do you have enough minutes to give Neesmith his like his stint in the game and give Romeo his stint in the game and give Peyton Pritchard? Like, I think it's like a, a benefit of having so much more depth this year than they had last year. But you're right. It's like, how are they Neesmith or Romeo? or even Josh Richardson at this point, I know he's like a more of a vet, but like, how are you going to get uh, them to kind of feel comfortable in their role when you just have no idea what the consistency is. And I think it's an interesting thing, just given the roster construction of this team, it's like, there's a lot of depth on the wing 
-hmm. But really, if those guys were maybe two inches taller or a little bit bigger, they'd get a chance like we saw Jabari Parker get, where it's just like they just need some size, especially with Al Hurt. They don't want to bring Cantor in. And so, Mm -hmm. sure, let's try a, a stint of Jabari Parker. I'm sure I am glad Jabari Parker was able to score 13 points and just knock down some threes, but like I just feel like he was physically painful, right? Like I just never have I seen, and I watched your guy, you and Jay play one on one. (laughs) Your jumpers didn't even look as painful as what Jabari looks like when he when he shoots it. It it happened to go in, but I feel like he's only out there because he is a larger dude. Like I just like that's the only justification I can give for like giving him minutes over Aaron Neesmith. Like, Neesmith feels like the exact type of guy you would want to, like, switch everything, athletic wing who can uh, – who's supposed to be a knockdown three-point shooter, but it's like, oh, but Jabari Parker is, what, 6'8 and 250 pounds, and so, like, he can just, like, bang bodies on the inside. And so it's like, no matter what, I think this team's going to be uh, just kind of uh, not have as many guys as they'd want – at that kind of backup four position. And so I think we're going to see Wancho, Jabari Parker, probably Grant, just get way more opportunities than guys like Romeo and Neesmith, who probably are more talented, but might not necessarily fit exactly what this team needs, just in terms of roster constructions. Because it's like, we already have two all-star wings. Like, maybe we don't necessarily need to uh, just develop Neesmith or develop Romeo, which is kind of sad. But it's like it's the reality of the situation. I would disagree. I would disagree with that. Uh, with, if that's what Ime's analysis is, because I feel like, and, and let me know. Correct me if if you feel differently, but like I feel like every time they play a lineup with Schroeder and Smart, with you know, with the Jays or Rob, when you have three non-shooters on the floor, I feel like you're playing with fire, right? So. In an instance like last night, Romeo's out, but Neesmith is available. Why wouldn't you want to surround Tatum? If if all Brad talked about was we want to maximize – this year is about maximizing the Jays, right? From a roster construction standpoint to a strategy standpoint, why would you surround them with three guys who defenses won't respect as shooters? And, yes, Shooter and, and Smart can knock down their occasional three. But I feel like in a situation like that, when guys are out, you know, Horford or Romeo, whatever, I feel like that's the perfect opportunity to slide in an extra shooter in that third wing spot. And if you have to play Tatum up to the four, like, so be it. I just, I'm nervous that if they win these games with shooter and smart, getting that start and and having heavy lineup minutes with those pairings, I just fear that when it matters, they're going to rely on that and it's not going to come through where you could have been spending a lot of these developmental minutes, getting Neesmith comfortable, having him, you know, it's one thing if he's getting the ball at the end of these shot clocks and he has to chuck up like a contested three. It's another, if you can just let him hang out in the corner and say, all right, the Jays will command all this attention, just knock down an open corner three, which is what smart and shooter are getting. I just either start Pritchard or give me an extra shooter you know, next to them when one of those guys are out. And I think, you know, let's just see it. I just, I just want to see it. If it doesn't work great, but we know that there are offensive limitations with what they're already throwing out there. So why not use this part of the season to figure all that stuff out? And then six months from now, you're not panicked when like Neesman doesn't have any confidence. That's a, a fair point. And I was thinking about it. Like we talked earlier in the podcast about, 
finishing with uh, Schroeder on the court, like you're already bumping Tatum up to play that uh, four spot and you're already with Schroeder on the court and your switch everything defense kind of having a liability on that end of just like having him go up against bigs. It does make sense to have a guy like Aaron Neesmith who can reliably or ideally uh, reliably knock down three-point shots to be in the lineup. And that's a good point. I, I was considering like Neesmith versus kind of the bigger guys like Grant Williamson or Grant Williams. But if they're just willing to go small, like it seems like they are and play these kind of like the core four and Dennis, there does seem to be an advantage of there of like having another shooter. Like we talked about Jason Tatum drawing all this attention I'd much rather have him pass the ball to Neesmith in the corner than really anyone else. I think I, you would want Hayden Pritchard in there. It's just like, is Ime really value, I guess, the playmaking and the shot creation of Dennis as this kind of like a secondary ball handler in those situations? Mm-hmm. Is it his defense, like being able to guard guys on the perimeter? I think um, that's what it is. I think it's. I think he values Schroeder's defense over whatever potential shooting woes could, could arise. And that's why I think Romeo is such the wild card, right? Because his three-point shot looks amazing. He's got a bigger body, and he's proven to be an NBA caliber defender. So I think he's the true wild card of if one of those two were to take Schroeder's minutes, I think it would be Romeo. Yeah, I I think that's why we've seen Romeo be the first option off the bench when he has been healthy. But, of course, wouldn't be the Celtics without him having a random calf injury. Um, But – We'll see when he comes back. Because next thing you know, it's going to be a Durant situation and he's going to like rupture his Achilles. So be cautious. Yeah. It's like, it's just interesting going into this year was like, my thought was like, the team has so much depth. The team has so much depth. That's going to be a good thing. But you got to figure out how to use it and how to figure out how to get these guys comfortable in their different roles. And I guess with all the different injuries, it's basically anyone has to be ready uh, at any time just because who knows what's going to happen. But um, it's but you would be- rather have it than not have it oh. before it's play like semi or you know it's like it, I'm with you it's annoying but it's like it's a first world problem I would rather have too many guys that are proven and, and and have enough talent to play but at the same time it's like I don't want to pass up development of young players for veterans that aren't give like I just I get that Josh Richardson has skills I just would like to see them. Uh, <laughs> I would just like to see him do something. Yeah, do something first before I anoint you the uh, the minutes. So we've gone this basically entire podcast. We've mentioned his name a couple of times, but we haven't talked specifically just about Jalen Brown. And my Lord, was that dunk on um, Bridges just absolutely insane. But just in general, Jalen Brown being able to attack in transition, he might be the best transition like driver or guy who attacks the rim in the league at this point. And he I don't he kind of had a quiet 30 points last night yeah. if you can compare it to Jason Tatum's 41. Um, but I, I was also I was just surprised to see him knock down or the finish with 30, but he knocked down a huge three um at the end of the game. And mm-hmm. we saw him have that huge performance on night one. And we've kind of been waiting for kind of Brown and Tatum to put it together on the same night. But if he can do like just this volume of scoring, especially just in transition, um, it's just means bad things for the other league. And his quote that about that Bridges dunk that he was going up there with bad intentions, bad intentions. Yeah. is the coolest, just most badass thing I've, uh, I've heard in a long time. 
I think his, you know, I think we're all, we see some weird knee medical term. Like, I don't know what that means. I just know I don't like it. But there were two plays that told me, all right, that's mostly precautionary. Is when he tried to, he tried to end Mason. Is that Mason Plumley? Yeah, it was Plumlee. Mason Plumley. He, he tried, tried to, to end that Plumley's life. Like, that poster was a couple levels ahead, uh, a couple levels above of the Bridges one. But then that one off transition, I mean, the fact that he went in confident, he didn't try to, you didn't see him like second guess it. That told me like, all right, his knee is good. He hit that late three uh, in the overtime period. Um, But yeah, they both shot 50% from the floor. I think this is just the evolution of Jalen. What surprised me is like, how sloppy his handle was for some reason yesterday. That After felt being more, amazing in New York and like, yeah, like that was a little bit of an outlier for me, but just, I, I mean, he's playing his way into being a legitimate, like I'm going to have to get upset online if he's snubbed from an all NBA team. Like that's just, he is making that case and that jump. If he's able to sustain this level and nothing he's shown us in his career says like, Oh no, this is just like, you know, a hot fluke streak, you know, He's gotten better every single year. Um, I I put it in my blog today. I do still get frustrated with him off ball. And I feel like, you know, even when it's it's not even an end of game situation, I just feel like Jalen and and some other guys too, like whenever they're just caught ball watching Tatum or Schroeder dribble, like just cut. Especially when we have lineups with both Rob and Horford on the floor, like they'll find you. I just feel like he's giving up six points a night just by not moving without the ball and cutting into the paint and then either getting to the line or finishing with a floater. I just, there were so many times last night where I'm just like, I'm watching him stand in the corner. I'm, I'm seeing nobody in the paint. And I'm just like, Jalen, just, just cut, just go there and see what happens. And if defenses collapse, then just kick it back out. But you know, cause I do feel like they forget about him sometimes, but he's, he doesn't really like, he doesn't come off as a player that's going to come and demand the ball and like throw a, a hissy fit if he doesn't get it. I just want him to create those opportunities for himself, which are there. Yeah, it seems like a lot of his offense comes either in transition or it's like the Jalen Jason Tatum's on the bench and it's now we've decided it's the Jalen Brown show. And I do think uh, something that's interesting to last night is I think uh, with Ime's rotations. I don't, in my notes at least, I don't remember a lineup that was on the court where it didn't have either Tatum or Brown on, uh, just out there. And I think like being able to stagger them is, I think, something that I thought Ime would do and should probably should do for the entire uh, season, just because like, why not have one of their all star guys out there? Well, I think I, he saw that, that all bench lineup uh, that played the three minutes the other night where it was, you know, they had like a 220 defensive rating or just. They just they gave up a billion offensive rebounds, so I think uh, he pulled the plug on it. Because I don't, I'm with you. I don't remember an all bench lineup, um, an all bench lineup last night where one of them didn't. But I also think like I want to see them on the floor together more, right? Like it's I feel like it was in the it might have been the Toronto game. They only played like 13 minutes together on the floor, and to me that's not enough. But at the same time, you know we can't. We're not at the point where we can survive off all bench player lineups just yet. No, uh, despite the depth, you still want one of those guys out there. And I think he's just done a much better job of get like when he does have the ball, like getting his shots, like even just getting the crafty stuff in the lane. And it feels like he's shooting, um, well, just like a lot more confidence from three, like, and is willing to take that shot 
uh, absolutely at any time. Um, I'm looking through my notes here. I, I feel like I've run run out of other things to say other than the fact that uh, Lamella Ball is a terrifying individual. <laughs> I mean, has there been – I mean, obviously LeBron, right? But, like, when you think of how his basketball life has gone and the hype and just the crazy from, like, Lithuania to New Zealand to having his middle school games on Facebook Live, like, he has lived up – he is the real deal. And I feel like – you know, I don't even I'm, – I'm not sure what his shooting splits are on the season, but he was shooting it from 40 feet, and I was convinced every single one of those was going in. I just think his combination of size and playmaking, like, he's a, he's going to be a problem for a long time, I feel like. there's He's a, he's like a 6'8", six, 6'7", six, point guard. Those are just – especially if his shot is going to be this consistent. I mean, he's barely hitting the rim. It was – he's going to be a problem. Yeah, it was it was impressive. Just like his playmaking, the shot making was something I just didn't know necessarily was part of his game. Like to be able to do it as consistently as he did the other night. But his playmaking, his size, like he's just a giant dude. And his like, if he's gonna knock down that shot, I think he got Rob Williams a couple times, just like leaning yep. a little bit, and then it's like two steps, boom, he's basically at the rim or automatically drawing the foul. With that being said, the Hornets' late game execution last night was absolutely awful when the Celtics could uh, basically came down for being down 10 points. Mm. I don't know if that's just like a lack of Terry Rozier. I'm not going to blame um, my good friend, Nick Freeman, assistant coach and uh, <laughs> assistant offensive coordinator. That's going to be on the head coach for the late game uh, failures. I did text yep. Nick Freeman about uh, how awful it was. He agreed. So he was accountable, but. Um, now I, let me I, ask you when, how, how come, it was a play. I, there was a couple minutes left in the overtime, or maybe it was in the in the fourth quarter, late when the Celtics were making their comeback. Was there any part of you that thought Gordon Hayward was going to make that elbow jumper? I think Jalen went out to contest it. I mean, I was. I'm not going to now sit here and pretend like I didn't stick up for Gordon while he was here. I think you know he's still a very good player when he's healthy. But there was no part of me that thought he was going to make that first-time <laughs> jumper. I just – I had seen him in that situation before. And for me, I kind of – I laughed. I was like, all right, he hit the mid-range one. That that one hurt. But when it came time to crunch time and he had the ball in his hands, he just – he wasn't even close. And I would have preferred, you know, anybody else on the, the Hornets roster to take that shot. I would have been – I wouldn't have watched it because it probably would have gone in. <laughs> I saw him start to pull off that jumper. I knew he wasn't going to make it. I was actually surprised. I, I was a little bit worried he might have made that shot. I was actually surprised they didn't go to him more. Like the, the amount of times Kelly Oubre took shots or drove or did something in that situation. Like I just didn't understand what the Hornets strategy was. They have LaMelo Ball on the team who's like shown that he can do things. They have Gordon Hayward. I would have been more uh, kind of scared if Gordon Hayward did the kind of like get into the lane and then – do that little like spin spin. If he did the spin, then I knew it, well, yeah. the Celtics would be done for, but they didn't even like get him an opportunity to do that. They basically just had him like kind of do that pull up jumper, but it was, it was kind of confusing about like what generally their, their strategy was. And I don't want to say like they, they gave the ball or, or the game away. They, the Celtics did a damn good job of getting stops. I think Schroeder had a number of uh, steals and swipes smart, obviously knocked away the inbound pass. What, what what was that consecutive inbound ATO issue from both the Hornets and Celtics? It's like, how do you Honestly, watch the team do that and then do the same exact thing on the other end? I'm 
the same way you put that the Hornets like game execution on their her coach, I'm looking at the same thing at Ime. Like, can you please figure out your end of game situations? I mean, first part of that is you got to figure out how to inbound the basketball. That's that's step one. We've already seen this team throw the ball away just inbounding it. That's weird. But then even still, it doesn't look like they have any sort of plan. So it's like, yes, sometimes you can just say, Tatum, go ahead, create your own shot. We'll live with it. Fine. But like, here we are. We've had a couple of late game situations and it does not feel like they have any idea what to do. Or if something is take, if their first option is taken away, you know, they don't have any way, any, you know, adjustments there. So I'm, I'm not ready to say that his, his AT, he's had one really good ATO and it came off of, uh, of uh, they were reviewing like, a, I don't know if it was an offensive foul. It was against the Rockets, but it was a play where like they came up, they inbounded the ball and then Grant came. He immediately turned to the corner uh, and found the shooter. Like that was great. But I haven't loved, I mean, they turn it over a bunch out of timeouts and their late game execution has not been what I think we know they're capable of. And it starts with just inbounding the basketball. Just go get the basketball. I'm with you. That just, I just, especially because I was convinced that the deflection, like the Hornets were going to get that ball. Like, I just, I didn't know who deflected it. Is this going to be like a weird backcourt? And then they're going to hit like a buzzer beating three. Every bad situation was going through my brain. The second Tatum did not catch that ball cleanly. And they said we're both green teamers. We're, we're ending the podcast right, criticizing like, the uh, ATO. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we can be honest and objective. We're just not going to be, ups, like, angry. We just, I'm we're just saying, fun I don't think we should trade Jalen Brown. Like, sue <laughs> Like, oh, my God. Like, that's it. Well, Dan Greenberg from Barstool Sports. You can follow him online at Stool Greedy. Thank you so much for uh, yes. coming on the show. I'm just wondering – is the great EIL rivalry between Bancroft and Beaver Country Day School? Do you know if that's potable? Well, let me just tell you. Everything is potable! Let me just tell you. I don't think I ever lost to Beaver Country Day, but I could never beat Pingree in my four-year high school oh, career. God. They were Pingree, those jerks. They were they were like our boogeyman back in the Bancroft days. As someone who lost to every game to both Bancroft and Pingree, I definitely hated Pingree more. So we can, <laughs> yeah, we, the can worst. we can agree about that. But uh, Dan Greenberg, thanks for coming on. It's been a blast. Uh, and we'll sure to have you on later on in the season. Yeah, whenever you guys want, man. Go Seas, baby.